0: The weekly standard podcast i'm your host michael graham this podcast brought to you by the weekly standard cruise cruising the mediterranean october 9th through the 20th with all of your weekly standard favorites including stephen hayes bill crystal and fred barnes for more information visit twscruise.com that's the weekly standard twscruise.com Please welcome to the Weekly Standard podcast, Thomas Donnelly, resident fellow and director Maryland Ware Center for Security Studies at the American Enterprise Institute and a frequent contributor to the Weekly Standard. And you're writing about the latest from Syria, Tom.
1: Uh, I am. Uh, there was a turning point, uh, apparently, uh, in the war in Syria this week, um, which particularly marks the intervention of Hezbollah forces in a large scale that really seems to have Uh, Turned the tide uh, back in favor of the Assad regime and uh, made the Iranian position in Syria very much stronger than it was. Now, I
0: uh, work from the assumption that anything that's good for Iran is bad for rational human beings everywhere. Am I right
1: on this one? (laughs) I think that's a pretty safe bet uh, now and for uh, has been for decades and probably will continue to be that way for some time.
0: What I thought that Assad was clinging by his fingernails; he was about to go. There was, you know, there's just too much dissent in his country. What is the best analysis of where the state of of uh, Syria is right now?
1: Well, I, I'd say things hang pretty much uh, equally in the balance, sort of a fifty fifty uh, uh, balance between Assad, Hezbollah, and Iran on one side, uh, and the rebels. Um, who are a um, you know mishmash of people that who range from Al Qaeda affiliates on one hand to uh, other more secular rebels. Um, the Saudis and the other Gulf states are are in that mix. Uh, but you're certainly correct. The the sort of air of inevitability about the fall of Assad uh, certainly uh, has gone out the window. And possibly the worst outcome would be. Uh, that Syria becomes kind of a, the front line in a long-running struggle for power uh, in the region, which has a lot to do with the American withdrawal from the region. So, uh, think of the Balkans uh, early in the 20th century.
0: I want to get back to the Iranian thing in just a second, but first, Tom, I want to ask you: the argument I hear all the time is, Michael, the only thing worse than not than doing nothing is doing anything. That is, every action that America could take would be inherently worse than simply letting this play out. What, what are your thoughts to that argument?
1: Well, I, I think that's profoundly not true. This kind of reminds me, and you hear uh, a lot of people who uh, have high opinions of themselves sort of repeating the mantra of the Iran Iraq War that Henry Kissinger made famous it's a right. pity that they both can't lose. Well, uh, you know, the outcome of that was three decades of violence. Dealing with Saddam, and of course, we still have a revolutionary Iran that was the that was entrenched very much by that war. And Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is a veteran of that war. Uh, So the the let it burn approach uh, is, you know, that's what happens when you play with fire. Um, Let me ask you about you mentioned
0: the Balkans. To me, the analogy is that as you know, as messy as the Balkans were that uh, by the west intervening they were able to bring in a landing as opposed to a crash landing and it may have been a bumpy landing and you know the place still isn't the you know the the uh the the shiniest you know spot on the map but that the west's intervention helped avoid just an you know a a a debacle that would still be lasting theoretically right now
1: well um uh, I was trying to re- reference the Balkans uh, in the, uh, so, about 1914, or, ah. uh, leading up <laughs> to 1914. Yeah, I was thinking the Clinton but, but, era but Balkans. I think No, I mean, the, the intervention in the Balkans, essentially putting a wet blanket over the war that broke out, uh, you know, in the 1990s, was very much uh, the right thing to do and then analog to what we should be thinking about doing now. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, in the Balkans all three parties, the the Serbs, the Croats, and the Bosniaks, uh, had a lot to dislike about them. But the worst outcome was just to let them go mm-hmm. at one another uh, endlessly. It was not only a humanitarian crisis, but, um, uh, you know, it, it might have become a, a yet another great power con- uh, confrontation over, um, you know, uh, small peoples fighting one another with... Uh, you know, to the death. Sure. But which brings us back to
0: Iran, because in the Balkans, there was no Iran. That is, there was no actor whose victory was inherently bad for everyone. Whereas in this case, there is an actor that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, all, all rational people, whatever, all, you know, all people worried about life, including the Sunni Arabs in, of the uh, Gulf states. Who don't want to see Iran win. Why would we sit on the sidelines of a fight that involves the one team that we most need to stop?
1: Well, both the teams that we need to stop are involved uh, in this war. I mean, you know, you've got Al Qaeda on one side and the Iranian regime on the other side. And look, this is this is very much a measurement of America's retreat from the region, it's it's the war spilled over into western Iraq, into northern Jordan. Uh, it might well spill over into Turkey. Uh, I don't think this is you know run amok domino theory. This these are just the facts. the The world has counted on the United States to make sure the worst doesn't happen in the Middle East right. for decades, and what we're looking at here is really a regional war. Uh, Conducted by actors on both sides who are our most virulent enemies, and if uh, Iran goes nuclear in these circumstances, I don't think it would be very surprised that you know the Saudis and the other Gulf states would seek to get their own nuclear weapons um, in very short order. So, and you uh, also write this is that this, very bad.
0: And you also write that this, that the uh, recent victory by Bashar Assad signals that this war may likely expand it's already spilled over into lebanon western iraq and northern jordan but i but i want i want to challenge you on one more thing because you mentioned iran and al-qaeda fighting and so the two primary enemies i'm sorry i just uh, in, a, in a a in al-qaeda victory in syria would could be easily be a short-term victory in other words you could manage your way out of that but an Iranian victory is not. An Iranian victory is a major problem that that spreads problems elsewhere around the region and theoretically around the world. Isn't stopping Iran, of the two bad options, isn't stopping Iran more important than stopping al-Qaeda?
1: Um, that is a devil's own choice. Um, I, You know, they're both extremely bad. You know, my personal assessment would be that Sunni Islam is the dominant... Uh, confession. uh, And the Sunni world is much larger than the Shia world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Iran is a very bad actor and a huge problem. But we see basically across the Western Muslim world, you know, from the Gulf to West Africa, um, what happens when Salafist groups threaten regimes. So, you know, again, how deep a hole do you want to be? in? I think the danger of, the, of the, a radical Sunni world is even greater than the danger of the Iranian devil that we already you know, seem to know pretty well. It's not as immediate as an Iranian, you know, the consequences wouldn't be as immediate as an Iranian victory would be. But I think they would be longer lasting and more consequential in the end.
0: Thomas Donnelly read his entire piece in the Weekly Standard. Please be sure to visit weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. Once again, this podcast is sponsored by the Weekly Standard Cruise. Visit twscruise.com for more details. I'm your host, Michael Graham.